following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So, this morning we are finishing up a series that we started a few weeks ago, a series called The Stories Jesus Told. And we've been looking at some of the parables of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, just this one chapter of Scripture, uh, looking at some stories that Jesus told. Stories were one of the main ways that Jesus taught people uh, as He went around uh, Israel. And He would use these stories to illustrate the reality of the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is this often ambiguous thing. And we're not sure what it is. And we're sometimes not sure how to really get our heads and hearts around it. And so Jesus uh, was quite clever, really. He just used stories about things that people could connect to, stories from everyday, ordinary life to illustrate things that were harder to understand. And so we've worked our way through quite a few parables. We looked at the parable of the sower. You remember the four different kinds of seeds? Uh, We looked at the parable of the wheat and the weeds growing up together. Uh, Last week, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed that grows into the mustard tree and the little bit of leaven that leavens the whole Uh, lump of dough. Hopefully you enjoyed the nice warm bread for communion. That was a bonus. And talked about the kingdom of heaven and how it grows, Uh, how it started as the small thing in the ministry of Jesus, Uh, just a small little movement, and then has grown to become a huge movement in our day in this permeating way that the kingdom continues to expand in the way that one day it's going to be a great, glorious kingdom when Jesus establishes his kingdom fully upon the earth. That day is not here yet, but it's coming. So each of these parables, Jesus is telling us something different about the kingdom of heaven, and he's shedding a bit of light on on what that means. And we're going to look at a final couple of parables this morning in that chapter, Matthew 13. So you can be opening your Bibles there. If you've got a Bible or got a Bible app on your phone, pull it out, uh, turn it on. And we're going to look at two more parables. So last week we looked at two mini parables. We're going to do another two, just short little parables today. Uh, Some of these parables are big. Some of them are just tiny. These ones are just one or two verses, just small little mini stories. But they're still stories. Uh, They still have a point, they still have a plot, and there's still something that happens. And because both of these stories are on the same theme, uh, we'll treat them together today. They're both on the same subject. So Matthew 13, uh, just verse 44 down to verse 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had And bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So, when you think about these stories, uh, in the context of the other stories that we've been looking at, these ones seem a little bit strange, I think. Uh, They seem a little bit different to the other stories. I mean, we've been looking at parables about. Uh, farming, about gardening, and about baking, ordinary everyday life stuff. And then now we've got parables about digging up hidden treasure and parables about rare and expensive pearls. And this all seems a bit more extraordinary. It doesn't really seem like the stuff of ordinary everyday life so much. It doesn't seem like maybe the kind of thing that Jesus' hearers would have been that familiar with. Uh, But this kind of illustrates the cultural distance between us and Jesus' day, that even though we look at these stories and these seem like bizarre events, who's going to dig up buried treasure? I mean, you see the guys with the metal detectors going around on the beach. I mean, has anyone ever found anything with one of those? Uh, This just seems like this is not everyday stuff. Uh, But back in the first century, it was more familiar 
And this kind of thing did happen more, and Jesus' audience would have been able to connect to what's going on. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me. This first parable, the story of the hidden treasure. People hid valuable stuff in the ground. That's just what they did, uh, much more so than we would today, partly because when you think about it, they didn't have banks. You couldn't take it for granted that you just put your money in a bank, and that that would be a secure way of looking after your money. There were kinds of banks, but they weren't for ordinary people. So there was a saying in Jesus' day that the only truly safe repository for money is the earth in the ground. And people would sometimes do this. They'd hide their money in the ground as a way of safekeeping. The other reason, though, that people would sometimes hide valuable stuff in the ground, whether it was money or whether it was jewelry, valuable items, whatever they happened to possess, is because of war. I mean, in the ancient world... It was entirely likely that territory and property could be overrun by war much more easily. You could have uh, armies, uh, groups of people, militia, marauders, bandits, whatever, sweeping through territories and just overtaking properties. This could happen. This did happen uh, through the Roman Empire. And so people would hide valuables in the ground to kind of keep these safe if their property was suddenly claimed by another group of people or if they were called off to war. You could be enlisted. You could be called up to fight in whatever army you were associated with, and so you'd have to leave your property. So again, people hid stuff in the ground in the hopes that one day they'd be able to return and claim their rightful possessions. So it wasn't that uncommon to hide stuff like this in the ground. And of course, what sometimes happened is that then the person who hid the stuff in the ground would die without telling anyone else where the stuff was. And then the land could be sold on and on and on and on. No one knew the treasure was there, and this treasure just sits in the ground, sits in the earth, just waiting for someone to discover it, which is exactly what happens with this story. You've got a guy here, Jesus says, just working the field one day. He didn't own the field. He's not the landowner. Uh, the fact that he's working the field means he's a servant. He's an employee, so he doesn't have a lot of resources or wealth himself. He would have been fairly low down the socioeconomic ladder, but he's just working the field. He would have been digging away, and his spade hits something hard. He pulls it out. He looks at it, and he's discovered something immensely valuable. Now, you probably don't want to think of this being like pirate treasure, this is not really what Jesus is saying. You know, like in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it looks like this treasure chest, glittering pearls and gold and whatever else. That's probably not what we're talking about. It's not, it didn't have a skull and crossbones on it. Wasn't that a pirate movie? This was probably the kind of thing you want to picture is more like maybe a couple of copper pots filled with gold coins. That's the kind of thing. Things like that have actually been discovered by archaeologists in Israel. Uh, people would have put money, treasure, whatever, in, in vessels that would have been able to contain them and handle them and then buried the stuff in the ground. So whatever it was, and we don't know exactly the, the nature of the treasure, this guy knows immediately he's onto a winner. He has come across something unbelievable. But he also knows he's got a problem, right? Because why? He doesn't own the field. It's not his field. He's working for the landowner. So he, he probably has to do a little calculation in his head here. What chance does he have of sneaking off the property with the, with the gold? What chance does he have of getting away with the treasure? He figures he can't just walk out in broad daylight with the treasure. So what he needs to do is rebury the treasure, puts it back in the ground, covers it all up like no one ever knows it's, it's there. And then he goes away and sells everything he has and buys the field, which for a guy like this would have been difficult because he didn't have a lot of wealth. He didn't have a lot of resources. He would have had to find someone and convince them to give him a massive loan so that he could go back then and purchase the field. He gets the title deed to the field. Now it's his. Now he 
unburies the treasure again, and he finally owns it. He can live off the proceeds of that treasure for the rest of his life. Now, some people have criticized this person in the parable because it does seem like he's acting a little bit dodgy here. Uh, I mean, this whole issue of going and buying the field when he knows it's there and maybe he should have just let the landowner know that the treasure was his because it rightfully belonged to him. But we have to remember, Jesus is not telling the story to tell us about the rights of landowning and all of these kinds of things. It's not about that. It's about the value of the kingdom of heaven. So with the parables, you have to try and key into what the point the parable is actually making and not go off on secondary associated points. These parables have a particular point. So that's the parable of the treasure. Fairly simple story, fairly straightforward story, not something that you and I have done probably, but this was not too uncommon in the first century. Then Jesus changes tact, and we have a different kind of story. Uh, This is a story, the second one, about pearls, a pearl merchant. Now, pearls were incredibly popular in the first century, just as they are today. Uh, People loved wearing pearls, and not only wearing them, not only pearl jewelry, but people would just love to own pearls, to have them in their home, to display them. They were considered to be incredibly valuable because they weren't as common as they are today. In in the days before uh, scuba diving, you you, you couldn't access pearls as easily as you can now, and so they were rare. They were precious. Uh, People had them, and they would display them, and they would just love to admire the aesthetic beauty of a beautiful pearl that they happened to possess. So you had these guys that Jesus describes as as a pearl merchant who would travel around, and they would just be buying and selling pearls. There weren't a lot of pearls within Israel itself. Uh, The closest place you'd get them would have been Egypt, a lot of pearls in the Red Sea in Egypt. So these guys would travel around, and it was, was a commercial venture. They would be looking for the best possible pearl they could get, the finest, the most expensive, the most valuable pearls. And then they would be either importing them back locally or just going to the, to the markets where they were. And you can just imagine these guys, you know, with their little stall in the crowded, bustling Middle Eastern markets, haggling over the price of their pearls. And this was, this was the stuff of everyday life, these pearl merchants. It's just part of what people encountered when you went down to the local market was the pearl merchant uh, selling his wares. So this particular pearl merchant, he comes across a pearl of incredible value. Uh, an unbelievably rare and precious and beautiful pearl. And he decides to sell everything else that he's got and purchase this one pearl, which means presumably he had to sell up the other pearls that he had, whatever else he had at the time, whatever other stock he had available. He had to flog that off. He had to get rid of those pearls so that he could buy the one pearl of incredible value. And it's interesting, you look in this parable, there's a little, there's a little ambiguity here over exactly what he wanted to do with the pearl. Did did he buy the pearl so that he could sell it on? Possibly. Or did he buy the pearl just so he could have the pearl? And he could own the pearl. Maybe he just wanted to have this treasure for himself so that he could have it displayed in his house. Maybe. We don't know. Jesus kind of leaves the ending open. We're not exactly sure why this guy did this, might have been a commercial move, might have just been a personal move that he was willing to give everything up just to have this pearl himself with no intentions of passing it on. Jesus leaves that one open for us. And so these stories, Jesus doesn't give us an interpretation of exactly what they mean with a couple of parables he does earlier on, but not this one. And so we have to kind of piece it together from what we know and from what Jesus says. And what we do know is that these parables are about the kingdom of heaven. That's a good start. Uh, Every parable in this chapter is about the kingdom of heaven. They all start the same way. The kingdom of heaven is like. 
the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is describing this reality called the kingdom of heaven. And we talked last week about how the kingdom of heaven is wherever God's transforming power is at work, wherever Jesus is at work in the world, wherever Jesus is at work in people's lives, uh, in families, in situations, in groups, in communities, in cultures, in nations, wherever, wherever Jesus is at work, uh, bringing transformation, bringing healing, bringing liberation, bringing freedom, bringing wholeness and healing and flourishing. Wherever Christ is at work in the world, that's the kingdom of heaven. It includes the church, but it's not limited to the church. Jesus works through the church in many different ways and forms in the world. All of that is the kingdom of heaven. And so these parables are telling us something about what the kingdom of heaven, this new reality that Jesus is bringing about, what this kingdom of heaven is like. One of the things that these parables are describing, it's not the main point of the parables, but one of the things, is the, the various ways in which people discover the kingdom, the various ways in which people encounter Jesus and encounter the kingdom of heaven. You look at the guy in the first parable with the hidden treasure. He just stumbles across it. He wasn't looking for it. just stumbles across it. The guy in the second parable, he's looking for that pearl. He's searching for the pearl of great price. And when he finds it, it's the end of a long, long journey. And it represents, doesn't it, the different ways, the diverse ways in which people encounter Jesus and come into his kingdom. Some of you may have been like the guy finding the treasure. You just kind of stumbled across Jesus, stumbled into this faith that you have. You were just at a particular place or time or you an alpha course or a church service or whatever it was. And you just, you just saw the reality of Jesus. You just saw him, and it just made sense. The Christian faith just clicked. You saw Jesus as real, and you made this decision to give your life to him. You'd never thought about it maybe before then, or you just kind of didn't quite, hadn't thought about it much, and then you're in, just like that. Others of you, maybe you're like the guy looking for the pearl, and it has been a long journey. Maybe you're still on the journey. And you're looking for meaning and identity and purpose. And maybe you're looking in various places, various other pearls. And when you finally discover Jesus, you recognize that he is that pearl that you've been looking for all along. And there's a hundred stories in between of how people come into the kingdom and how people come to know Jesus. But the overall point of these parables, it's actually very, very simple. These, this, is not, this is not complicated stuff this morning. The overall point of these parables is that when we discover the kingdom of heaven, when we discover Jesus, we discover something in someone who is incredibly, infinitely valuable. This is what Jesus is telling us. That to know Christ, to be a citizen in his kingdom, is something that is infinitely valuable infinitely valuable, that when you come into relationship with Jesus, you, you, you realize, you have this discovery of realizing all, all the other, these other things that we thought were so valuable, they kind of lose their significance. These other things we were building our life upon, other things that we thought were so important, all these achievements we, we thought were so impressive, they just kind of lose their shine. They lose their significance because we, we realize now we have something that is infinitely, eternally valuable and its value and its beauty just eclipses everything else that we ever considered important. Uh, people who don't have faith in God don't see this. They don't realize this. They might respect the Christian faith. They might be open to it, but it's not until you take hold of it that you realize what an incredibly valuable discovery it really is. But I think the reason Jesus tells these stories is because he knows 
that the longer you walk this journey, the longer you have the pearl, the longer you have the treasure, the less valuable it seems. And you know this, you know, from stuff that you've bought that you couldn't get enough of for a few weeks or a gift you've been given that seemed incredible at first, but, you know, over time it just kind of loses a bit of its shine and it normalizes and we adapt to it and then we don't treat it as that special at all. Jesus said it's just like the kingdom of heaven. It's just like who Jesus is. You know, we have this pearl of great price. We have a relationship with Jesus. We have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But a lot of the time, after a period of time, that pearl just kind of sits on the shelf. And we, we pass by it every day, but it just kind of sits there. And we don't think that much of it. It just normalizes. It just becomes kind of ho-hum for us. And we're not blown away by the reality of what we actually possess and what is within our grasp. And so Jesus tells these stories to remind us of the sheer value, the immense value of what it is we actually have if you know Jesus. And each of these stories, both of these stories, shed a bit of different light on why the kingdom of heaven is so valuable. In that first parable, the parable of the hidden treasure, what's the value of the treasure? The value of the treasure is that it makes this guy incredibly rich. And Jesus is saying, when a person comes into the kingdom of heaven, when a person comes to know Jesus, they become spiritually rich in a way that surpasses any kind of worldly wealth, any kind of material wealth that you could possibly imagine. We have these spiritual riches that God just pours into our life. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Just a great phrase, isn't it? Lavished. God has lavished riches on us. It's like He's just poured out these gold coins in front of us. He's just poured out these incredible blessings in front of us. And often we just lose sight of what is right in front of us and what is now rightfully ours as Christians. This whole chapter, by the way, in Ephesians 1 is just a great one to walk through, just listing one after another all the spiritual blessings that we have through Jesus, that we have forgiveness of sins, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have entrance into God's kingdom. We become adopted children in God's family. We become part of God's story, His new creation in the world. We receive the righteousness of Jesus. Our place in heaven is secure. Our eternal destiny is secure. We are waiting for Christ to return, and we receive these incredible riches of His grace in the future. All of this is ours in Jesus, these riches. And sometimes I think when, when we're kind of feeling down on ourselves and down on life and just wondering why, you know, why we bother, it's worth coming back and just listing again, just counting again the incredible spiritual riches that we have in Christ and what is ours in Jesus, what it means to belong to Christ and the incredible treasure that we have in Him. But it's not just the treasure. It's not just the riches. You look at the second parable, what's the value of the pearl? The value of the pearl, it's not just monetary. It's the beauty of this pearl. It's not just what, what, what you could sell it for. It's the aesthetic beauty of this pearl. And Jesus is saying there's something about the kingdom of heaven. There's something about Jesus himself. It's not just about what he can do for us, but how beautiful he is in himself. This is what we need to learn to see as Christians, that the value of Christ is not just in what he can do for you, but in who he is within himself. 
that within his own being, Jesus is the one of ultimate beauty, the one of ultimate value, the one of ultimate worth before he's done anything for you. And even if he never did anything for you, he would still be the one. He would still be the pearl of great price. See, we appreciate beauty in the world. We appreciate beauty in all kinds of places, not just human beauty. We appreciate beauty in nature, sunset, landscape, whatever it might be. We appreciate beauty in music, beauty in art, beauty in dance. There's something about our humanity that longs for, longs to behold beauty in the world around us. And usually these days what happens is when you encounter something that's, that's beautiful and you are in, in a moment where you're just caught up in it, we pull out the phone and we start recording it so that we experience whatever it is we're experiencing secondhand through the technology. And then what happens when you watch it later? It's not quite as beautiful, is it? It's not quite as good. The photo is not quite as good as the reality. The video recording is not quite as good as the reality. We kind of miss out sometimes on the first experience of beauty because we pull out the phone so quickly. We only see it through our phone, and then later on it's not the same. Sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a reason to keep the phone in the pocket and just be immersed in the beauty of the moment. But every ounce of beauty in the world, every aspect of beauty in creation, in, in art, drama, music, whatever it might be, all of that is a signpost to the one who is of ultimate beauty, and that's Jesus. All of these things point us toward the one who embodies true beauty within himself. That's Jesus. It sounds a little bit weird to be talking about Jesus as being beautiful. Is anyone else feeling slightly weird about that? For me as a guy, to be talking about Jesus, who is a guy, as beautiful, slightly awkward. But we're not talking about the physical beauty of Jesus, the man, while he walked on earth. Just to clear that up, the Bible talks about how there was nothing in his physical appearance that we should desire him. It's quite a brutal thing to say about someone, really, in the Bible, isn't it? Basically saying he wasn't that good looking. But that's what the Bible says. That's what Isaiah says. But when we talk about Jesus being beautiful, we're talking about the beauty of his nature, the beauty of his person, the beauty of his being, the beauty of his character, the beauty of who he is. It's the beauty of Jesus while he was on earth and the beauty of the eternal Son of God, Jesus, as he exists throughout eternity. His beauty is in that he shines with the glory of the Father. The beauty of Christ is that he just has this radiant glory, this splendor, this majesty that permeates the whole universe, the whole cosmos. It's the beauty of his righteousness, the purity of who he is before God that just radiates out for all to see. It's the beauty of his sheer love for all of his creation, for us as his human creatures. It's the beauty that he is the one who created all things, who was before all things, and in whom all things hold together. This is the beauty of Jesus. And it is the beauty of Jesus, the man, when we see him and we read about him, walking around, ministering to people and teaching and healing and talking and so on. When Jesus describes himself as the, as the good shepherd, you know that verse, he says the good shepherd, that word good can also be translated beautiful. You could say Jesus is the beautiful shepherd because there is such beauty in the way that he treats people with such tenderness, with such compassion such unconditional love, such a willingness to cross every social line and cultural line and every taboo and move towards people in need, towards the lost and the hurting and the last and the least and the lonely and whoever else. He just moves towards people with love. All of this is the beauty of Jesus. All of these things, and we could go on naming all the attributes of Jesus, it all coalesces together to create this picture of Jesus as the pearl of great price. 
as the truly beautiful one. And we need to learn to behold the beauty of Jesus just for who he is in himself. Not just because of what he has done for us, and he has done amazing things for us, but simply because of who he is and all of his glory and all of his splendor, just to, just to consider how beautiful, how precious, how glorious Jesus is. We need to take the time to do that. And the reason it is so important for us to get this vision of how precious Jesus is, how valuable his kingdom is, the reason Jesus wants us to be captured by this is because it's only when you see how valuable the kingdom is that you're willing to give your life for it, that you're willing to give up everything to have it. Because that's, that's the other half of the parable. That's the other half of these stories. These guys didn't just dig up the treasure and find the pearl. They then sold everything so that they could purchase these things. If they'd just admired the beauty of them and then walked off, it wouldn't have been much of a story. But these guys so desired, they saw the beauty, they saw the value, that they were willing to give up everything in order to have claim to these things. Jesus is saying the more that you see the value of the kingdom of heaven, the more you see the beauty of who Jesus is, the more willing you will be to surrender your life for it. He's not necessarily saying you have to literally sell up everything. This is a parable. We've got to be careful not to press this too literally. Jesus is not necessarily saying give every single literal thing you own away. But this idea of selling up everything, it's an image of surrender. It's an image of bringing our lives to God and laying them down. And fundamentally what this means is for us to say, I no longer have a rightful claim to my own life because I've been bought at a great price. I've been purchased by Christ. He has placed his hand on my life and he has said, you are mine. He has purchased me and so I no longer belong to myself. My life isn't my own anymore. It's not mine to do what I want with anymore. My relationship's not mine just to do what I want with anymore. My career is not mine just to do what I want to do anymore. Make my own decisions about, my ambitions, my hopes, my dreams. They're not mine anymore. We lay them down. That's what it means to surrender. That's what it means when you take hold of the kingdom of heaven. You take hold of the person of Jesus and you're willing to sell everything to get it. It means fundamentally recognizing I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to myself anymore. I'm laying down my rights. I don't have any rights anymore. I no longer have a right just to live the way I want to live. Chart the course of my life the way I want to chart it. I no longer have a right, even to my own body. I give up my rights. I lay them down before God. That's the posture of a disciple. It's the posture of someone that's discovered this incredibly valuable treasure. And you know, the thing is, when you really are taken by the beauty and the value of the kingdom of heaven, this is not drudgery. This is not something we do out of this kind of trying to earn our way into God's good books. We do it in the same way that this guy found the hidden treasure and then he went out. And did you catch those couple of words where it said, in joy, he went and sold all he had. In joy, he did this. See, when that guy was selling up everything he had to buy this field, he didn't consider it a sacrifice. Even though he was getting the biggest loan of his life, he didn't consider it a sacrifice. Why not? Because he'd seen the buried treasure. Because he had seen the value of what was hidden in that field, and he was willing to give whatever was required of him, to give up everything, sell everything in order to purchase it. 
As long as you just sort of live out of the sense of obligation as a Christian, the sense of feeling like you ought to do stuff, and just trying to live by your own effort and your own willpower and so on, you, you just won't get very far. It's only when we see the immense value of Christ and His kingdom that then we go out and enjoy we're willing to surrender. It's not drudgery. It's not legalism. We joyfully surrender for the privilege of knowing Christ and the privilege of being part of His kingdom, drawing deeper to God, being more a part of what He is doing in our lives and being transformed by Him and being more and more orientated toward the kingdom of heaven. We do it in joy once we've seen what the kingdom of heaven is really all about, once we've seen who Jesus really is. And sometimes to take your life and place it in the hands of Jesus, I mean, that's a dangerous thing. You don't know what's going to happen when you do that. Sometimes that's going to mean big life changes. Sometimes when you truly say, I'm surrendering everything I've got to you, Jesus. I'm willing to sell it up. I'm willing to surrender it all. You know, I mean, we sing these songs and we say these words, but when your heart is really open to this, you don't know what God's going to do with your life. You don't know where God might call you. He might call you to make some sort of change in your life. If you're open to it, if you're available to it, we assume God just wants to tinker around the edges of our life. But if you become like the guys in this parable, you surrender all, you don't know what God, where God might take you. Where he, he might lead you in a completely different direction to the direction you thought your life was heading or you think your life is heading at this moment. If you're willing to truly open your heart up to Jesus, you don't know what the possibilities might be. He might call you to drop a day's work a week to invest yourself in an area he wants you to invest in in a project, in a ministry, in the lives of people, some new direction, some new thing. It's not even on your radar, but it comes out of having an open heart and saying, I'm willing to surrender everything for this kingdom because I see the value of it. And I see that Jesus is the pearl of great price. I'm, I'm, I'm open, God. Whatever you want to do in my life might mean God wants, to, wants, wants you to foster a child. Might mean he wants you to give a significant amount of money to a particular thing or venture or person or organization. Might mean he wants you to join a church planning team. Might mean he wants you to go to an overseas mission field. Who knows? Are you open to that? Or are you only open for God to just pot around the edges of your life? Make little changes, God. You can do that. But Jesus told this story to describe to us what it means to really take hold of the kingdom. Really take hold of Jesus as the pearl of great price. It means being open. Who knows what God will do in your life? Are you open to it? And of course, it's not just the big things. It's not just the life-changing things. It's also the very, very little things. Even though for these two guys in the parable, this, it was a one-off event, them selling everything up. I think what Jesus is describing is this ongoing posture of our heart, that we're constantly willing to surrender, that we're just living a life where day-to-day, moment-by-moment, we're in the space of bending our will to the will of the kingdom, which means bending it away from self, away from selfishness, self-preoccupation, selfish desire, towards the kingdom, towards the will of the Father, towards the good of others, putting others ahead of ourselves, the interest of the other before ourselves. And this is the ongoing work. The Bible calls it being a living sacrifice. We're alive, but we're dead. We're dead to ourselves, dead to our own desires. We're constantly putting those aside for the sake of Christ. It even affects things as, as small and personal as the thoughts you let flood into your head. When the thoughts rush in that are condemning towards another person, judgmental towards another person, when the thoughts rush in that are lustful and impure, when the thoughts rush in that are self-rejecting and self-hating, what are you going to do with those thoughts? 
What does it mean to sell up everything in that moment for the kingdom? What does it mean to surrender everything in that moment? It means to surrender those thoughts, doesn't it? It means to bring those thoughts before Christ the King and say, Jesus, I'm laying these down. Not just the big decisions, but the smallest decisions, the decisions that go on in our minds, is to surrender those thoughts and say, I'm not going to walk in that way. I want to take every thought captive to Christ. I want to turn around the patterns of my thinking right now, and I want to meditate on the truth. I want to meditate not on these, not on these lies, not on these unhelpful, unhealthy thoughts, but on the truth of who Christ is, and who I am, and who other people are in his sight. Smallest of decisions. These are sometimes split-second decisions you make when thoughts race into your mind, but this is what it means to live orientated towards the kingdom and not orientated towards ourselves. And you know, any act of surrender and sacrifice that we're called to make in our lives is absolutely eclipsed by the unbelievable sacrifice that Christ has already made for us, right? Because as that video reminds us, God had a treasure too. In God's eyes, you are the pearl of great price. In God's eyes, you are the hidden treasure. That he values you and I more than anything else on earth. We are the ones that he cherishes. We are that rare and precious and beautiful thing. And God's greatest desire is that we would be for his own possession. That he would be able to have claim over our lives. And so God has sold everything in order to purchase you. God has given up everything in order to be able to claim you and to be able to have you for himself. He has given up everything. He has given up his own son for you. He has laid down the life of his own son in order to purchase you, in order to purchase your salvation and bring you into his kingdom. God has already lived out this parable for us. And so now he turns to us and says, in view of what I've already done to acquire you, the pearl of great price, are you willing to see the immeasurable value of what is right in front of you? Are you willing to see the unbelievable beauty of Jesus, the one you maybe say the occasional prayer to and worship in church on Sunday and don't give much more thought to, the one who just kind of seems so much a humdrum part of your life now? Are you willing to recapture the sheer sense of awe and amazement of what is already within your grasp, this precious faith, this precious kingdom, this precious Jesus? Are you willing to be overwhelmed by that again? And then in view of that, to say, I lay my life down. I'm selling everything. I'm giving it all up. I'm surrendering. Not just words, but I'm really opening my heart up to whatever God wants to do in my life, however he wants to change me and transform me. And I'm going to do it, not begrudgingly, but in joy because of what Christ has done for me. Let's pray. It may be just as we sit here in, in the quietness, that there's an area of your life perhaps that God's placing his finger on. Maybe the Spirit of God is at work just surfacing something in your mind and saying, I'm asking you to surrender that to me. I'm asking you to lay that down. It might be a relationship. It might be a particular habit or addiction in your life. It might be a way of using money. It might be a way of relating to people somehow. It might be a, a direction that your life is moving, just a particular sphere of your life. You know what it is, and God is just placing his finger on it now and saying, I want you just, just quietly, without drama, not even in an obvious way, but I, I, 
God is calling you to lay that down. The Bible says, I consider all things rubbish for the sake of gaining Christ. I consider all things absolute garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus and being found in him. And God's asking you this morning with that area of your life, with that thing that he's bringing to your attention, are you willing to say those words to say, I consider this to be garbage compared to the joy of knowing Jesus? It may be a very valuable and precious thing to you, Maybe something you've held dear for a long time, but God's saying, are you willing just to put that aside? Are you willing to say, I consider this to be garbage compared to the incredible joy of knowing Jesus? Father, we gather up these parts of our lives, these broken pieces, and we come to you, God, now as genuinely as we know how. And we just admit freely, Lord, we are people of mixed motives, And we are people who are really good at saying words and really bad at meaning and following through on these things that we say. But God, with every ounce of our being this morning, we want to say those words to you. We surrender. That we do lay our lives down and we lay the different parts of our lives down to you. We pledge them to you, Jesus. We give them up to you, not knowing exactly what that's going to mean. Lord, we can't foresee right now every thing that that's going to mean. We, we maybe get a sense of what you might be doing, but we just want to be in this posture, God, of being totally surrendered to you, totally consecrated to you. And we pray, Jesus, that as we do that, you would enlarge our vision of who you are and what your kingdom is about. Jesus, help us to see you as that beautiful, shining pearl. Help us to see you as that treasure of incredible richness. Father, keep that vision before us so that each day in joy we would continue to lay our lives down for your sake, for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, Or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.